Turn your Bibles to Luke 15. Returning there I, just this week, I told Becky it's hard to believe it's been five years this month since my mother passed away and four years this month since my father passed away and just reflecting on what they just sang, what a, a day of rejoicing that will be when those who are in Christ Jesus are not only resurrected but reunited for all eternity to worship and to praise our living Savior. What a, what a great song. Thank you for sharing that with us. Luke chapter 15, this morning we'll be looking at the first seven verses. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Luke 15, 1 through 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on its shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have spoken decisively in your word. And through the ministry of your word and spirit, you continue to speak as the scriptures are opened and our hearts are laid bare before you. And so we ask this morning that we, who are your sheep, would once again, through your word, hear the voice of our shepherd. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Have you ever thought about what kinds of people God loves? Now, we, we know the Sunday school answer to that. God loves the world, people of all kinds, people from different places and cultures and ethnicities. Some of us sang at the earliest of age, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red, brown, yellow, black, and white. They are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. But on a practical, functional level of our hearts and in our relationships with others, do we really believe that? I think we all deep down sort of have a preconceived notion of the kinds of people God really loves. You know them, people like us. Religious, righteous, responsible people. Well, it begs the question, then, what kinds of people doesn't He love? We might not ask it that way, but intuitively we sort of feel it. And the religious leaders in Jesus' day thought they had it all figured out. The Pharisees, whose very name meant separate ones, knew that God loved people like them, and He didn't love people unlike them. Tax collectors and sinners that were beginning to gather around Jesus. The tax collectors were Roman oppression sympathizers, and they earned their livings off the backs of the Jewish people. And sinners, when you see that in Scripture, Scripture acknowledges it of all of sin. So when you see the word sinners, those are the big ones. Those are the notorious ones, the sexually immoral, the prostitutes and pimps, the, the drug addiction and the pushers. 
liars and swindlers and the like. These were the despicable ones of Jesus' day. And so the Pharisees separated themselves from people like that, and they taught that any religious person, any respectable person, would do the same. So along comes Jesus, and he once again upsets their religious apple cart. He warmly welcomed sinners. If you've seen a Middle Eastern greeting, they embrace and they kiss on the cheek. He received them. He warmly welcomed them, and he ate with them. And that culture to eat with someone was to signify fellowship and solidarity and community and acceptance. And as Jesus began to do this with these notorious sinners embracing them and kissing them on the cheek and sitting down and having meals with them, the Pharisees began to grumble. And they began to complain. Who in their right mind would do this? And so in response to their grumbling, Jesus tells three back-to-back parables. One of a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. But really it's three in one. We're going to deal with them one at a time. But the three parables all have the same basic storyline, the same main point. There's something that's lost There's a search and rescue that ensues, and then there's a great celebration when that which was lost is found. And what these three-in-one parables are doing is giving us a glimpse into the heart of our God for lost sinners and reminding us of the kinds of people our God loves. So let's jump in and begin with this first parable, the parable of the lost sheep. And in this particular parable, the heart of our shepherd king is reflected in a relentless search for the lost. Jesus tells the story of a shepherd. He has 99 sheep, one goes astray, and he leaves those 99 to look for the one. However, the reality is that's not that big of a loss. 1% loss, most people can live with that. And yet, nevertheless, he goes in pursuit in Jesus' story of the one lost sheep. Why? Because the loss of only one sheep is a big deal to God. Unlike the religious leaders, God has a great compassion for the lost. He longs to see them come to him and to be secure and to be saved. And Jesus is demonstrating that. And so he tells the story of the shepherd and the sheep. Now the background of that is throughout the Old Testament. Throughout the Old Testament, God's relationship with his people is depicted as that of a shepherd and its sheep. Who can forget the great psalm dealing with the good shepherd, Psalm 23? Or other psalms such as Psalm 80, verse 1. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You are enthroned above the cherubim. Now shine forth. And so throughout the Old Testament, our great God, the King and sovereign creator of the world, is depicted as a shepherd king who's entered into covenant relationship with his people. And so to exercise that shepherd care of his people, God established under-shepherds, religious leaders who would lead and guide and shepherd his people. But there was a problem. Throughout Israel's history, these under-shepherds 
miserably failed, like the Pharisees standing there this day. They failed God's people to shepherd them and lead them and guide them and tenderly care for them. And so, for example, in Ezekiel chapter 34, God rebukes these under-shepherds. We read, beginning in verse 1, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who've been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost, ring a bell as Jesus tells this parable, the lost you have not sought, and with a force and harshness you've ruled them. So they were scattered. Because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts, my sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. The negligence of these shepherds Jesus observed in the Pharisees standing there. No heart for the sheep, no desire to feed and care for them, no concern whatsoever for the lost, no search and rescue. And yet in contrast, here's Jesus. In contrast, here's the rest of the story in Ezekiel 34. Look beginning in verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I... I myself will search for my sheep. Do you hear the heart of God? And I will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So I will seek my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat of the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. I will rescue my flock and they shall no longer be prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep and I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. Now David has already died. Who's the shepherd he's talking about? I will set over my people one shepherd and he shall feed them and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. What's going on in the scene here as Jesus tells the parable? Not just the Old Testament background of shepherd and sheep, but Jesus is saying in essence as he embraces the wicked, as he shows love and compassion for the lost, Jesus is saying, I'm that one shepherd that was promised. I am the great shepherd of your souls who has come to seek and to save the lost. In fact, just in a couple of few chapters later in Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, he says, for the Son of Man came to do what? To seek and to save that which was lost. And by his willingness to leave the 99 behind and go after the one, what is God saying? What is Christ saying about his sheep? What is he saying about you? Every last single one of you is a priority to me. Every last single one of you who's called upon my name is, and your salvation is priority one. Jesus in John's gospel, as he spoke of this mission accomplished of not allowing one to be lost, said this. 
And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all that he has given me. Do you understand that if you're in Christ, your salvation was of utmost importance to the living God, not one sheep straying, not one sheep being insecure, but secured by the love of Christ. I love the way the Heidelberg Catechism talks about God's love for us, even down to the single hairs on on our head, and that our salvation is a priority in his grand scheme of redemptive history, even the last lonely single sheep that is his. What is your only comfort in life and death, we're asking? The answer in the Heidelberg Catechism, number one, is this, that I'm not my own, but belong body and soul and life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and set me free from the tyranny of the devil. And he also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my heavenly Father. That's nice to know when you're getting ready to go through chemo. Not even a hair can fall from your head. In fact, all these things must work together for my salvation because I belong to him. Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Not one sheep for whom Christ died will be lost. Mission accomplished. How much does he love you? Willing to leave the other 99 and pursue the one. And not only can we gain confidence and assurance in our salvation because of the shepherd of our souls, we can gain confidence and assurance in this life for our future. Our great shepherd king has promised and sealed in his blood to lead and guide and protect and provide for his sheep. And so if you're anxious about the future... If you're worried and struggling to discover God's will for your life, whether it's for marriage or vocation or location or whatever that that fear of the future might be, you can come and trust in this shepherd of your souls. If you're struggling, maybe a university student, you're trying to figure out what's after graduation, if I ever get there. What's next? Sinclair Ferguson, in his book, Discovering God's will provides several wonderful principles of guidance, but he sums it up with these words. But the best way to get guidance is to get to know the guide, to know him personally and intimately as your shepherd. There's your confidence for the future when anxiety grips your heart. You and I really do have a shepherd who has bled and died to secure us to himself and promises to lead and guide even through deep waters of difficulty. Not one will be lost. Mission accomplished by our great shepherd king. And so we can continue to get to know him as our shepherd personally and intimately as you've experienced his seeking, saving love at the cross, as you trust him as Lord and Savior, and as you continue to hear his guiding voice through his word, we can continue to grow in our love for and a desire to follow him as the great shepherd of our souls. And we can sing, I may not know the way to go, but oh, I know my guide.
because you know the shepherd of your souls. God's heart's reflected in this parable. A relentless love for the lost, so relentless not one of his sheep. He'll never forsake. He will pursue with white, hot passion. But we also see in this parable the heart of the shepherd king is demonstrated in his willingness to to bear the burden of the sheep. In Jesus' story here, when the shepherd finally uh, finds the sheep, he picks him up and puts him on his shoulders. Again, another wonderful Old Testament imagery in Isaiah chapter 40. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather his lambs in his arms and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those with young. You know, Isaiah's passage in chapter 40 and this parable before us often conjures in our minds, and maybe you've seen in Sunday school literature somewhere out there, of Jesus sort of portrayed as a a shepherd and he's picked up this little lamb and he's sort of walking through the field smiling. I'm not sure that picture is necessarily accurate. Do you know how big sheep get in the Middle East? Rams get to 225 to 275 pounds. Mature ewes get to 150 to 200 pounds. The the one that wandered off probably wasn't, if you've got this picture in your mind of kind of scooping up your little Yorkie, is a Yorkie a real dog? I'm not sure. Anyway, um, all the small dog fans I just wrote off, you won't hear anything else the rest of the time. But anyway, you know, it's not the scooping up this little bit of Yorkie and kind of running around and, and petting her little chihuahua, you know, which is a piranha with uh, fur. Um, <laughs> you know, our, our, our part lab, her name is Riggs. We always like to have a Clemson name, so my USC fans go, what? And everybody in Clemson goes, oh, I love that name. Um, she's gotten a bit overweight. She weighs 88 pounds now. And we took her to the vets, and she didn't want to get on the scales, like a lot of us after New Year's. And um, even though they lowered the scale, I had to kind of hoist her up. That's more the picture you need to have. It's probably maybe a 75, 80-pound lamb that he's having to hoist up and put over his shoulders and carry. It was a burden to the shepherd. Well, what is the burden that Christ carries for us. Think of that burden. He leaves heaven's glory and took upon himself the, the frailty and the weakness of humanity. He was willing in this imagery to have him, his life and ministry depicted as a, a shepherd, poor shepherds who wore tattered clothes and it wasn't a, a prestigious job whatsoever. He's willing to use this metaphor as a lowly shepherd to describe his person and work. And listen again what he bore through the the echo of the voice of Isaiah 750 years earlier. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep, that's us, have gone astray. Each has turned his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And Isaiah goes on and says, and he bore the sins of many. The apostle Peter in the New Testament, echoing the voice of Isaiah writes this, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed for you are straying like sheep but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. 
Exactly what did Jesus bear as our great shepherd? He bore the, the weight of my guilt and shame of sin. He bore the weight of the wrath and fury and judgment of the Almighty as he hung on the cross. He bore the unbearable burden of that cross. In that moment in history, the lamb, the shepherd became a lamb for the slaughter. Jesus went on to say, I'm the good shepherd, but I lay down my life for the sheep. At that moment in history, Jesus bore the greatest burden imaginable as he hung on the cross and bore the guilt and shame and judgment and punishment of my sin and your sin and those who look to him. One commentator wrote of this picture of the shepherd going to take the sheep and picking that sheep up. Exhausted by its struggles in the wilderness and too weak to walk back home, the shepherd has found safety and security, and the sheep has found safety and security in the shepherd's arms. Did you hear that? If you're struggling in the wilderness, too weary and too weak to return, too exhausted to walk home, our great shepherd comes in pursuit because of his great love and is willing to scoop you up and to return you home. I don't know where you are this morning. Some of you may have wandered and strayed and are far from Christ and yet at one time claimed his name. Jesus says it's never too late to repent, to look, to cry out to him, and he will, no matter how broken you may be from the world's sin in your life, he will scoop you up, put you on his shoulders because the burden has already been borne on the cross, and he will take you home. And so do you know the joy? Have you cast your burden upon him, a burden of your guilt and shame, a burden of your worries and anxieties, cast them upon him. And the good news is he will scoop you up with all that sin and all the burden. He will joyfully place you on his shoulders. Did you see that in this passage again? He, he finds the sheep and he places it on the shoulders, no matter how heavy that sheep might have been, rejoicing. The Hebrews, writer to the Hebrews, speaking of Jesus, said, Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. No wonder after the recovery there's great joy. Our burden has been lifted. There's joy in that. And there's joy in the salvation of even one. And we see in the shepherd picking up and rejoicing, even under the burden even under the burden of the cross, the heart of our shepherd came expressed in exuberant joy over the salvation of the lost. He lays the sheep on his shoulder, how? Rejoicing. And he wants others to share in that joy as well. Look again at verses 6 and 7. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying, Rejoice with me. For I found my sheep that was lost. And then Jesus takes it from that place in Israel to glory itself. So, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. By the way, Jesus isn't saying we don't need repentance. It's a jab at the Pharisees who thought they needed no repentance. They needed it as much, and religious people sometimes need it more. But the joy 
that's here. And that joy is a theme that runs throughout all three. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. The woman who lost the coin says, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. The father whose son returned. He throws a celebration, invites people to come, and it ends on a note of great celebration. And so if you and I have truly experienced the rescuing, sovereign, saving grace of the shepherd, there'll be a joy of worship in what he's done at the cost that was expended for our salvation. If we understand the profound lostness of the lost and the unbearable burden they will face in eternal condemnation apart from the saving grace of God, then we too will be relentless in our longing to see others come to know him. Our hearts will beat with a desire for evangelism and missions of longing for the lost to come to know the Savior. If we've experienced this joy of salvation then we'll invite others to join in the joy of that salvation as well. We're told even the angels are throwing a party. And this search and rescue party has now turned into a celebration party in our passage with us this morning. That's where an understanding of the great shepherd of our souls will eventually lead us. Phil Riken tells the story of a pastor, Sam Nasser, who was preaching in the Persian language in a church in Toronto, Ontario, Bayview Glen Church. It was the summer of 2004. It was an international congregation. Many from uh, various parts of the Middle East were gathered there. And as Pastor Nasser was preaching, he, he kept looking, and this, this woman in the congregation kept catching his, his eye. She's on the phone. She has her cell phone out, and he's like, maybe it's an emergency. He kept preaching, didn't let it get to him too much. The next Sunday, she's on her phone again. This went on several times. He said, I've just got to confront her. This is too much of a disturbance. And so he calls her into the office and uh, begins to ask about the phone. And she says, oh, but um, I already told you, my husband in Iran is, is wondering how I became a Christian by, by me listening to you. I didn't really understand what she was talking about. So he pressed a little bit further. And then she said this, oh, I, I bought a calling card. And, and I call my husband in Tehran every Sunday morning when you're preaching. And he puts the phone on speakerphone, and my mother and sister are there. Now other family members are coming. People from the neighborhood are coming. And so I'm not talking on the phone. You are. He was so impressed by that. He said, please, sit on the front row next Sunday. Then the service, he had talked and preached on the love of God in Christ. And he simply asked the question, are there any here who long to come to know the saving grace Christ and all of a sudden the woman starts shouting my husband my husband my husband just got saved and my mother and my sister want to know him too my friends this is a passage that reminds us that it's a reflection of the heart of God there's great celebration there was celebration not only in Tehran that day in the summer of 2004 or in Toronto that day there was a celebration in heaven Jesus tells us so and my prayer is that the, the beauty and wonder and the grace of this great shepherd of our souls will so grip our hearts that we'll be overflowing with joyful worship in what he's done for us, that he'll embed in our hearts a love for the lost, that they too would know that joy, and that even when one comes to know him, there would be a holy party 
celebrating yet again Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of our souls. Oh, my prayer is that you know him, that you trust him, and that together we continue to grow in our love for him, hearing his voice through the ministry of his word and spirit and seeking to follow him in loving obedience throughout all the days of our lives. Let's pray together. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Oh, much, much. We need thy tender care. And the good news of the gospel that we've seen, even in this parable, Jesus, that you told, is that with great joy you have taken upon yourself the burden of our guilt and shame and sin and placed it all upon your own shoulders. You've gladly borne those sins. And now there's great joy in the kingdom, even over one lost sheep coming to know you. Father, could it be this morning, there may be more than one here this morning. And you, once again, through the ministry of your word, have extended hope for the hopeless and salvation for the sinful. You once again extended the beauty of the cross and the hope of salvation. I pray this morning if there's one who has strayed, who's previously trusted you, that today would be the day that he or she is brought back into the fold in loving fellowship with you. And Father, I pray that if there's those here this morning who've never truly repented of sin and embraced Jesus Christ, that today, even now, they might trust him Make each of us as members in this church sensitive to those around us. And may we always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have in the great shepherd of our souls as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.